Namaste. So I was just contemplating, especially in view of the recent events, but the, there is a problem which is not today, it is ongoing always. Is the, um, of course, to use the word right relation between the individual and the societies to make it into a very large area. But when it comes to question of conduct, how should we act? On one side, there is the individual line of action. You know, we will to act in a certain manner. And on the other side, there is the pressure of the society. So what should an individual do uh, in such a situation? Uh, this, of course, is described elaborately in the Gita. But just to take out that essence of it. So Shurabindu reveals to us that there are basically four main standards through which we act. So one, as we know, is the law of the jungle, the unthinking, unenlightened man who goes according to his desires and fancies. Whatever I want to do, I will do. That is the law of the jungle. Nobody can stop me. Nobody can tell me anything. Is the old time. If we go back, uh, far back time, this was the way human beings lived and acted, behaved. Uh, basically, it's the law of the desire self. Now, because the law of the... But this is the first means given to man to discover himself. That, you know, he... But very primitive means. So to curb this desired self and it's the chaos it can create in the world. Uh, and since the divine has both aspects, um, the samasti and the vyakti, the individual and the society. Both the divine has to maintain an order between the individual and the society. So there comes out of man another law which is a still greater law and that is the social law. Social law means you can't just live life according to your whims and fancies. There is something like a social order and the society decides. And it can go to an extent where the individual has to, choices have to be crushed under the social compulsion. Now many people remain at these two levels. Most human beings, if you really see, remain at these two levels. And the mother said, if you are at this level, you are not ready even to set your foot on the path of yoga. And she gave this in context to a particular uh, lady, disciple, who was, um, who was very much revered by people within the ashram context. And then she became friends with someone and started living with the person. And immediately everybody started shunning her. That you know... She's a bad woman or see, look at her, we thought something and such like the usual standard practices. And then when this happened, then mother writes, describes, she says, when such things happen outside, I can understand. But when it happens here, it still shocks me. What is she speaking about shocking? Not about the woman living with the man, but about the reaction of people. She says, it still shocks me. And uh, she says, they, uh, like people started shunning for no reason. I mean, she doesn't even consider it as a reason enough to even think anything about her uh, in, in whatever terms. And then at the end she says, those who are still in this stage of social evolution are not really ready to set their foot on the path of yoga. So this too is, but this too is the most prevalent all over the world. Generally we'll see either a man driven by his desires or a man 
who is uh, there is a social compulsion so what most human beings find they find a way to uh, find a balance between their individual desire life and the society so they do still are driven by their desires but they will make sure that it is the social picture is picture perfect so you know that's how all kinds of even tendency towards sin and all this comes because of that and this is the way most people find a balance they find release in their of their desired self its tendencies or you know if let's take money they want to earn a lot of money by fall wrong means but they want to maintain a good image in the society because if you are like this man choksi or you know if you are caught then you are your reputation is damaged so they find ways and means to cheat the system and wear a nice facade they will donate a lot for all kinds of causes to maintain a social order at the same time under the social order their life is running the same life of the beast to <laughs> jungle life but true humanity begins when it enters the third stage of evolution the third stage of evolution which the mother often speaks about uh, is she says you have to go through this stage before you can really enter the spiritual life is uh, the stage of individualization so that's when you decide what you should do but not driven by desire you develop a moral and ethical standard which is your own it is not because many people will say no we must do it because elders have said so that is social even if it is wrong no no because you have to obey that's how people will put it or you know because it is written in the scripture that's the end of the story but the individual evolution or individualization begins when a person devolves evolves out of himself a moral and ethical sense now this moral and ethical sense may be very different from the social collective idea of what morality is so collective idea of morality changes like some time back uh you know uh, i think few years back elahabad high court had given very interesting two judgments one was it had made uh, lgbt community as uh, legal it was not legal earlier and then it said living relationship is fine so social society changes its norms but initially the individuals who broke free from the system were regarded as rebels were regarded as bad people something like even some people thought they are evil but they are the ones who actually unwittingly not that they were all doing consciously and everybody was driven by a higher ethical standard but still the ethics behind it was that whatever it be if i love someone i have a right to live with that person that was the only condition behind it uh, which in a way was if you look at it very objectively um, it was better than the idea that because they have grown up and they may run away the girl may run away or the boy may go stray therefore you get married if you look at the social norm which was there before this process started it was two people should get married uh, the term used to be gaay ko khute se bandho right so in indian context you know tie the cow to the khuta so that the cow doesn't run away but if you look at it it was very crude i mean almost vulgar that you are actually getting married somebody because there are the biological instincts and you want to so human beings evolved a higher standard it it was like a personal ethics that no no that cannot be a criteria uh, guy or no guy 
I want to make my own choices. So the choices were determined by love, friendship, companionship, comfort zone. Uh, desire self is a different thing where you are just attracted physically and you know, that's not. But ethical standard where today's children feel this is right because deep within myself, I have thought about it like vegetarianism. Now, uh, in a society which is purely vegetarian, to eat non-vegetarian is a very bad thing. You are a, you know, the worst man on earth if you have done that. But at the same time, uh, there are people who conform to vegetarianism. Why? Because their parents never had, in the society they never had. But there are others, so they belong to the mass. There are others who think about it and choose vegetarianism. Even they may have been a non-vegetarian person, but they choose vegetarianism. Why? Because they have thought about it. They have applied their reason. They have applied uh, their own standard of ethics. And therefore, they choose to be a vegetarian. So, see the difference. Outer action may be absolutely same. But inwardly, there is a shift from the collective to the individual. So, this is the third stage where human beings apply an ethical sense to curb their desires at the same time to discover a standard of conduct according to which they must uh, go through life. And that standard may or may not be in conformity with the social standard of an existing time. This is a very important stage and mother speaks about it in detail about this whole process. Says if you are not an individual, you are not really ready for the yoga. This is the other way of saying if you are still living by social norms, you are not ready for yoga. So... But then is that the end of the whole journey? No, there is a yet greater standard of conduct. Now, once we are, we have discovered the individuality within us and we have formed our own uh, synthesis as to what should be my standard of conduct, uh, you know, in different situations of life, like respect. The social thing is you must give respect because somebody is elderly. Even recently I heard this statement from someone. No, no, but uh, you know, we must respect the elderly. I said when I was 15, I discarded this idea. Because one doesn't respect somebody just because of age. <laughs> respect has nothing to do with that. Respect has to do with somebody's inner stature about who the person, what the person is inwardly. And if, even if a child is that, one should be willing to touch the feet. Now, this is a standard of conduct, which as a child I was, you know, thinking about that. But there are people who would say, no, no, elderly, if they have said, that's the end of the story. So, you develop your ethical standard. Then the highest standard, the fourth is, where the divine will is expressing, regardless of all this, divine will doesn't have any of these considerations. It doesn't consider the law of the beast and the jungle, yet it may use it. It doesn't consider the mass the masses, how they think or how the society believes uh, to be the good. And yet it, it may use it. You see, that's why Gandhari and many others, they didn't understand Krishna. Uh, they didn't understand Draupadi. But two shining examples in our mythology, not mythology in that sense, really incidents, where both broke free from the social standards of that time. And yet, now the mind of the race has accepted them as gods. But what would have happened during that time? You know, the reason why Draupadi was dragged into the Kuruk Sabha was that she is an immoral woman. And Sri Krishna, oh, he is the one who has corrupted the youth people. You know, he is the one who has actually fomented trouble. If he was not there, there would have been no war. Arjuna Yudhishthira were very nice, disciplined children who would have just accepted the reign of Dhritarashtra and gone to the jungle with a begging ball or lived in Drupad's kingdom or Viratnagar as, you know, um, citizens. That is how people thought of Krishna at that point of time. 
Now today, because Krishna and Draupadi were way ahead, thousands of years ahead, today we can understand them and revert them. So highest is divine will, beyond even the individual. This is the divine will who uses all of these for its incalculable purposes. And yet exceeds these, because it brings in a new uh, determinism, a new dimension, a new will, which must express itself in this world. So I just thought we'll read this from the synthesis. This is a chapter we did not touch upon during the... Because, you know, we had to only com- compress everything into <laughs> a few sections. But I thought this is an important chapter. So just I've taken out just some passages. The chapter is Standards of Conduct and Spiritual Freedom. So spiritual freedom is the ultimate. It doesn't act according to any moral ethical notion. That's why people can't understand Krishna who is saying that, you know, Kalos me bhava. I am time the destroyer. This is what kind of God should, the, his presence should, you know, immediately make them greet and meet and say, come be our friends now forever. But they can't understand Krishna. That, uh, even that poem, no, of uh, Subramanyam Bharti, he says, my Kannan, he calls him and wants to teach him and train him and make him a disciplined boy. And Kannan is a very, most undisciplined boy in the whole world, it seems. And when he comes and he tries to discipline him, over a period of time he discovered that Kannan is none else but Kana who has changed him. He is a changed man because he had some fixed ideas, rigid notions, all that is broken. So Krishna stands for freedom and delight. So here we are given some interesting clues to form higher and higher temporary standards as long as they are needed is to serve the divine in his world march. So, none of these standards which may, we may hold as an individual are final. Even when the divine comes and brings, he brings a new will, new orientation. But he may change it. See, as Rama, he brought in one standard of conduct in the animal humanity. But as Krishna, he broke those standards and brought in something yet new. Now, Shurabindo comes. He brings in something still greater. So, there are temporary standards which we need to erect in, to serve the divine in his world march. So, every standard we form should be temporary. To erect rigidly an absolute standard is to attempt the erection of a barrier against the eternal waters in their own flow. So, on the other hand, while it is good to have your own temporary standard which you evolve, but if you erect a rigid standard, like, you know, you have this ISIS and all. What is the, is it a result of? Over a period of time, the standard became so rigid, so that it has gone to that extent that, you know, you can behead somebody if he doesn't conform to you. So, all this is... Um, once the nature-bound soul realizes this truth, it is delivered from the duality of good and evil. For good is all that helps the individual and the world towards their divine fullness. And evil is all that retards or breaks up that increasing perfection. So how do we decide what is good or evil? Simple. Whatever makes us go backward in the divine current which is taking us forward, that is evil. Whatever helps humanity as a race to evolve towards something greater, greater perfection, I don't want to take examples, but it's very evident, is good. But since the perfection is progressive, evolutive in time, good and evil are also shifting quantities and change from time to time their meaning and value. 
this thing which is evil now and in its present shape must be abandoned was once helpful and necessary to the general and individual progress this is what we don't understand. like the caste system was necessary way back you know this was the way they preserved the uh, you know uh, different stratification it preserved a social order but it became a problem so it had to be broken the moment we make it rigid and absolute then there is a problem same way we look at you know in the, even when buddhism came there was so much of karm kand and everything rigidity in certain things was setting in he broke like in iconoclast he broke free from all that and people took to that whole approach so at one point of time it is necessary but now people want a new law they don't want just a shunyam and nothingness so these things keep on evolving one example that extreme example that uh, nalida writes in one of his you know writings it can be very almost uh, shocking to a mind which is completely modern frame that long long back maybe 10000 years when primitive humanity had just come there used to be even human sacrifice why it was the way of telling that you may be very good everything but look here society is greater so it was the way they curbed the entire desired self of the individual life that whatever it is if you don't conform you will be because that was an age when people were living by driven by their instincts and they went across so this but today it is something horrifying even in war now we talk about war crimes and there was a time when it was if you look at even the times of you know ramayana and mahabharata uh, nobody had a you know war crime tribunal or <laughs> things we have evolved you know <laughs> somebody could in an anger take out the talwar bow and arrow and shoot and finished <laughs> today you shoot a monkey <laughs> you see animal right activists will catch you <laughs> how can you do that so those who think that world has not evolved they must understand that divine is in the world so it is evolving which is very good and on the spiritual level we transcend even this distinction for we discover the purpose and divine utility of all these things that we call good and evil he uses everything then have we to reject the falsehood in them and all that is distorted ignorant and obscure in that which is called good no less than in that which is called evil for we have then to accept only the true and the divine but to make no other distinction in the eternal process so even when we make absolute standard rigid standard this is good there is nothing like good for all times it itself shifts as we grow and evolve you know now new dilemmas human beings are facing for for instance with regard to euthanasia is it murder is it suicide is it mercy killing all these uh, capital punishment at one point of time it was a way of life now people are beginning to look at it differently uh, subjugation of women in a time when there were constant invasions uh, it was a way which was meant to safeguard obviously it turned into horror in india particularly you can see because you know it was constantly invaded but now it's no more needed so there is a liberation freedom which has come to those who can act only on a rigid standard to those who can feel only the human and not the divine values this truth may seem to be a dangerous concession which is likely to destroy the very foundation of morality confuse all conduct and establish only chaos read only this much and see the meaning will change with the next sentence that 
Many people say, what are you, what is Lord advocating? That, you know, good and evil both and beyond good and evil. If the choice must be between an eternal and unchanging ethics and no ethics at all, it would have that result for man in his ignorance. If, if ethics is something fixed forever. But even on the human level, if we have light enough and flexibility enough to recognize that a standard of conduct may be temporary and yet necessary for its time and to observe it faithfully until it can be replaced by a better, then we suffer no such loss. So, if you have to make a fixed rigid standard and no standard, then okay, that's... But this is the beauty of Sanatana Dharma that it admits evolution. And it admits that there is a progressive manifestation. This is unique to Sanatana Dharma. Even the profound Vedantic uh, philosophies which are there in other offshoots, they don't speak about it. It's in Sanatana Dharma that you speak about evolution. And therefore even the Chatur uh, Varnya and the, the four ashramas, you can see it is an evolution from childhood till uh, the seasons of life. I don't want to use the word old age. <laughs> But different seasons of life, the dharma changes. It changes from one level to another. So, <clears throat> there are four main standards of human conduct that make an ascending scale. The first is personal need, preference and desire. This is the lowest selfish life. I want it, I want it like this, that's the end of the story. I, Mary Marzi, my desire, my kamna, this is the lowest standard. The second is the law and good of the collectivity. The third is an ideal ethic which you evolve from within. The last is the highest divine law of nature. And then he says, The existence of a social law external through the individual is at different times a considerable advantage and a heavy disadvantage to the development of the divine in man. How beautifully Shobindu gives a very balanced synthetic view of life. It is an advantage at first when man is crude and incapable of self-control and self-finding. You need the policeman. So, you know, so that uh, people don't steal, people don't do crimes. But we know that policemen themselves become the scarecrows. So, <laughs> I was walking, you know, I had not the, I had forgotten to put the mask and there was a policeman coming. I said, oh my God. I have to take out the mask. <laughs> he came and stood right there. So I said, now I have to. By the time I could take out his, his eyesight, went to somebody else. And he was busy chatting. I said, this is very good. But then this is nothing to do with really your. I mean, but that is required when, when uh, in, in things which we may do, which are dangerous and disastrous to society. So you need to curb that. That's why you need the social standard. So it's an advantage for the crude man who will um, basically live to fulfill his desires. And in that desired self, he will uh, trample over everybody's interest. So you are told, no, you can uh, make money, but make it according to the law. So the intelligent brute knows how to manipulate the law. So he... <laughs> He, he he find the loopholes in the law. That's how people do, no? And then he makes money, siphons out. You see how complicated brains can misuse the law for its purposes. And yet, Shurvindu says, <clears throat> So, this is important when man is crude. 
because it erects a power other than that of his personal egoism through which that egoism may be induced or compelled to moderate its savage demand so it is like collective egoism and individual egoism so if you do something which uh, society doesn't agree so society will stone you so society is as savage huh see imagine stoning but it <laughs> and then the society which stones they will commit the same things in private see in the arab belt it happens that within this particular geographical region you are not supposed to do certain thing because your hand may be cut or you may be stoned so they cross over the border and rich people so they check in big hotels and don't ask me what happens next but this is the way of uh, this is how then people develop what is called as the ugly kind of sense of morality where they try to beat the system they are still the brutes they have not evolved an ideal ethic they are living according to the social standards but still the brute is alive so what is the disadvantage it's okay at least the crude man is shobindo says it is a disadvantage to the adult spirit ready to transcend the human formula because it is an external standard which seeks to impose itself on him from outside you know we were recently talking about choices why choices are important so that's where he say and the condition of his perfection is that he shall grow from within and in an increasing freedom not by the suppression but by the transcendence of his perfected individuality so you should be given a choice to uh, find better and higher ways to deal with the problem you can't impose a collective thought and push people and you know it's not a crime it's not something crude that a person is engaging in not any longer by a law imposed on him that trains and disciplines his members but by the soul from within breaking through all previous forms to possess with its light and transmute his members so we can take this present example that if there is a brew to goes to the liquor shop or anywhere says you know it's my life my marzi then you need the law to make sure that the person lives within a certain standard of conduct but at the same time you want to try to bring a newer way newer possibility through which you can deal with a problem and a challenge you should be allowed to do that because that's where evolution always proceeds by the individual followed by the masses in primitive societies the individual life is submitted to rigid and immobile communal custom and rule the moment this starts happening an institution is gone in fact institution the mother has said in one of her writings what should be the future institution because institutions are going to be dismantled all over the world and uh, they have to become very wide and plastic there's the only way institutions in the future will survive there is no other way they'll survive the moment you make rigid communal rules of a community it won't work out this is the ancient and would be eternal law of the human pack that tries always to masquerade as the everlasting decree of the imperishable esha dharma sanatana decree of the imperishable so pack so this tries to impose you have to listen you have to obey why because thus spoke god so this is how it tries to impose itself and the ideal is not dead in the human mind the most recent trend of human progress is to establish an enlarged and sumptuous edition of this ancient turn of collective living 
toward the enslavement of the human spirit. Shubhendu is saying most recent. I don't know what he is speaking about. <laughs> that this ideal is still there. That what everybody thinks, what elders think, what has been a norm. That is right. You have to impose it. So he is speaking of a large and sumptuous addition of this old law. So we can ask, so Lord, what about it? Isn't it good? He says, there is here a serious danger to the integral development of a greater truth upon earth and a greater life. For the desires and free seekings of the individual, however egoistic, however false or perverted they may be in their immediate form, contain in their obscure shell the seed of a development necessary to the whole. His searchings and stumblings have behind them a force that has to be kept and transmuted into the image of the divine ideal. However it may appear that an individual is behaving uh, in a certain way, there is in it a seed. It is supported by a divine element which is right now only in a seed state surrounded by a very egoistic form of life and one day that seed, you have to allow this seed to develop and break free from the shell. This is what he is revealing to us. That force needs to be enlightened and trained but must not be suppressed or harnessed exclusively to society's heavy cartwheels. So there is this force within us which is trying to express in an egoistic forms, even through the desired self in an individual. You need to train it, regulate it, but not to suppress it under a heavy cartwheel of society. I was just sharing, I think, yesterday, a few days back, uh, one lady, she had once she had a very interesting anecdote with the mother. She felt love for someone and she asked the mother, what should I do? Mother gave a very interesting uh, reply. She said, you know, one should never stifle love. Ennoble it and refine it. Just imagine, she gave an answer which never stifle. If it comes to you, ennoble it and refine it. So this is how Shubhindu guides us step to step. Individualism is as necessary to the final perfection as the power behind the group spirit. The stifling of the individual, the stifling of the individual may well be the stifling of the God in man. To what extent is going? If you stifle it, it is to stifle the God in man. And in the present balance of humanity, there is seldom any real danger of exaggerated individualism breaking up the social integer. He says that is not a danger. But there is a danger that society may revert back to a state where everything was by external compulsion. And that's what he describes in Savitri, where he says that there is a just exact machine where everything is in a perfect order, built by reason, things have to be like this, like that. Until if the spirit in man... Okay, I know the place so I can find it. Not not an issue since we are speaking about it. Kingdoms of the little mind. So, this is, uh, you know, since we are speaking about it, we can just quickly. Huh, here it comes. He describes this in Savitri in this way. And 
an absolute state found orders absolute. This is the way to live. An absolute state found orders absolute. To a standardized perfection got all things. Everybody has to behave and conform in a particular way. Why? We have decided it. Who are we? We are the rational rajas <laughs> who are representing Lord Vishnu and his law. Okay. In society, build a just exact machine. Then science and reason, careless of the soul. It's very relevant. Then science and reason, careless of the soul, could iron out a tranquil uniform world. With soul and all this faith, leave all sit, all this. Act according to what reason and science tells us. Okay? Aeonic seekings glut with outward truths and a single patterned thinking force on mind inflicting matters logic on spirit stream. See, does it sound relevant and contextual? I am not speaking anything. I have not uttered the word vaccination. Okay? <laughs> but look at the language. So, you know, how can you ignore when you have read all this that look what's happening? It is in the little mind. <laughs> look at the lines and you, you connect with it. Inflicting matters logic on spirit's dreams. A reasonable animal make of man and a symmetrical fabric of his life. This would be nature's peak on an obscure globe. The grand result of the long ages toil. Quite a bit of humor here. Huh? Earth's evolution crowned, her mission done. This what we want or something else. So might it be if the spirit fell asleep. If this were to happen, then it would mean that forget plans of evolution. Go back to that age when there was a stand. See, this is the western model of society. What is it? It is this standard perfection. That's why in the 60s the revolt came up. We want no education. All these things came up because it tried to iron out everything. Reason, systems, science. This is the new godhead. Religion is blind. Superstition, faith is all nothing. You have your faith in your house. But here you must follow society. This is the way. So it is already broken. How many years back? 60s the revolt came. So we are... Almost gone, going back 60-70 years back when this was the thought. So might it be if the spirit fell asleep, man then might rest content and live in peace. Master of nature who once her bond slave world worked, the world's disorder hardening into law. <laughs> if life's dire heart arose not in revolt, if God within could find no greater plan. But many visaged is the cosmic soul. A touch can alter the fixed front of fate. A sudden turn can come, a road appear. A greater mind may see a greater truth. Or we may find when all the rest has failed, hid in ourselves the key of perfect change. Everything is seen, foreseen and given us. So we read this last line. That on the on one side he says that exaggerated individualism is not really a danger in the modern context because already there are checks balances plenty. But there is continually a danger that the exaggerated pressure of the social mass by its heavy, unenlightened mechanical weight may suppress or unduly discourage 
the free development of the individual spirit. This is a danger. For man in the individual can be more easily enlightened, conscious, open to clear influences. Man in the mass is still obscure, half-conscious, ruled by universal forces that escape its mastery and its knowledge. So when we go by all this, you know, what is happening all over the world, we must follow the same, talk about protocols and this study and that study. We are basically behaving according to the law of the mass. But when you want to discover a greater truth, a greater possibility, then you are taking the road to evolution. It has its dangers, both have this danger, but Shurabinda says this is much less dangerous. And that, if it succeeds, it stifles the growth of the individual. Because it's a small little experiment. You know, viruses also, these forces also do a little experiment. Let's see. Can we go back to the era where the individual is over and there is only the society which decides things? So these forces want to put us back step by step. And then, when the heart of man revolts, there are few who break free from that. And that's where lies the hope for human evolution. From man to the being beyond man. Namaste.